Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is the Slow Poisoner. I come to you from the future with these words of warning. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot horror planet. It's a hot Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 75. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Attention comic book fans, Lee's Comics of Mountain View, California has closed. But here's the good news. Lee's Comics eBay store is still going strong with over 10,000 vintage comics, the majority of which are now on sale for half off. Choose from Lee's huge stock of golden, silver, bronze, and modern age comics, and specializing in Silver Age Marvel titles. You can count on friendly service, accurate grading, and quick, secure shipping backed by a money-back guarantee. To check out Lee's eBay store, go to eBay. Click Advanced Search to the left of the search bar, scroll down to Sellers, and enter Lee's Comics, Inc., period. That's L-E-E-S-C-O-M-I-C-S. I-N-C, period. Don't forget the period. Lee's Comics is shipping daily with no delays. New items daily. Mention the Fun Ideas podcast and get a free bonus gift. The pandemic continues and that's why I decided to record a few more episodes that will last at least until the end of June for your enjoyment. As always, please let me know how I'm doing with your comments and subscriptions and Patreon support. You know my other books, but if you don't, go to Amazon and follow author Mark Arnold. Make sure it's me and my books. You'll know because the books are all about animation, comic books, and music. Any other subjects are most likely by another Mark Arnold. All of my books are available in hardback, paperback, and ebook, except for the two cracked history books and my first Disney book, which don't have hardcover versions at this time. Since I assume you're still self-isolating, this is a good time to catch up on my earlier books. As for new projects, I'm still waiting for the Warren Kremer book and the second TTV book to come back to the publisher, and I'm working on my Mad book and second Disney book in the meantime. I'm also finishing up four articles for Back Issue Magazine, and I'm selecting cartoons for a new collection by Bruce Bollinger, for which I will also write a foreword. I'm supposed to appear at some point with my co-author Michael A. Ventrella to discuss our Monkeys books on Zilch, a Monkeys podcast, but it hasn't been scheduled yet. I'll let you know. Our guest today is a Marvel Comics legend. Nuff said. His latest book is about the life of Stan Lee called A Marvelous Life. Here he is, Danny Fingeroth. Okay, on the phone today we have Danny Fingeroth. How are you, sir? I'm fine. And I I am doing very well, uh, considering the circumstances of this pandemic. (laughs) But... uh, Well, I'd say fine uh, these days has an asterisk, but, uh, (laughs) you know, uh, fine, yeah. Given given the circumstances and the very strange 
times in which we're living. Right. Um, but it gives me a chance to do a few more podcast episodes. Normally I would take a summer break. This is the end of my second year. And then I decided, wow, if everybody's cooped up at home, I'll just keep going and do a few more while people can listen. So, uh, yeah, and, and, every, and everybody home is glad for... Uh, uh, for the uh, you know, break-in routine, so you know, exactly. you're, you're performing a service. Yes, that's the best I can do. I can't do anything else. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> so we'll talk about your book, A Marvelous Life, The Amazing Story of Stanley, in a moment, but I just wanted okay. to ask what I usually ask people. Uh, tell me a little bit about yourself and how you got into working for comic books, writing especially. Um, well, I... Um, uh, I don't know if it's uh, especially exciting. I was a big comics fan, especially a Marvel fan as a kid. I'm of the generation that was buying comics when the first, uh, you know, Mar- Marvels came out. I mean, Marvel has timely been around since uh, the 30s, but when, you know, I was around for Fantastic Four number four, actually. That was, I'd been reading uh, DC comics and uh, and other stuff, uh, and, and then a friend of mine said, hey, there's this new thing called Fantastic Four you might like, and then <laughs> turned out, uh, you know, it was a changing point in my interests, and I guess in my life, ultimately, since I went into the business, so, that, so I, I was a big fan, but I was not a member of Capital F fandom, you know, I... Um, Actually, uh, ironically, uh, you know, I went through, I loved comics, or uh, mostly uh, Marvel DC superhero type stuff, although I, uh, I remember reading Millie the Model in the <laughs> barbershop when I was a kid, and, uh, uh, and then I, and, and I, as, as, as uh, people uh, do, as a teenager, I sort of, you know, I, I, my interest in the specific superhero comics was waning, although comics as a medium still fascinated me in the underground and mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, Harvey Picar's work and and stuff like that. And uh, then I came back from college. I grew up in New York City. I grew mm-hmm. up in Manhattan. And I came back uh, from college uh, in upstate New York in uh, SUNY Binghamton, which is one of the fine uh, state universities of New York. And I had a degree in filmmaking, but no real desire to move to California. Uh, And I thought, well, it might be fun to work at Marvel Comics for a couple of months while I figure out what I do. And I I had a contact that could get me in the door there for an informational tour, which is what I did. So I went around there, and and through that I ended up... um, uh, about six months later, actually getting a job there as an assistant editor to Larry Lieber, hmm. who uh, is, you know, uh, is Stanley's brother, of course, but also a, uh, a very talented writer and artist and editor in his own right. And he was running the British division of Marvel, and hmm. so I became his assistant. Uh, and mostly, we were doing reprint material. Uh, some new material for a character called Captain Britain. Right. <laughs> and so we were doing a lot of new covers and a lot of new splash pages because we'd split up the U.S. stories into chapters. And especially, uh, uh, we ended up doing a lot of Star Wars. I ended up, in effect, being Archie Goodwin's assistant on Star Wars because they were using it at twice the rate in the British uh, version. Um and so I started doing some writing of uh, splash pages and cover copy and letters to 
stages, and uh, then uh, kind of, you know, in in those in those days, as opposed to being frowned on, it was actually encouraged for staff members to do writing. So at a certain point, the British Department migrated crazy idea. Uh, <laughs> a guy named Des Skin came along and said, you know, maybe actual British people ought to be putting out your British books. And uh, and Marvel went, oh, why didn't we think of that? You know, as opposed to guys from the Bronx and Brooklyn and Manhattan and Queens. Um, you know, so that, so the, the books migrated. At that point, Larry was uh, drawing and uh, sometimes writing the Hulk newspaper strip. <laughs> and uh, I had uh, kind of segued into the mainstream editorial department. Uh, being a shared assistant, um, between, you know, while still holding on to some of the, being the liaison with the British comics, still uh, assisting uh, both Jim Shooter and Saul Brodsky, which was interesting because they, <laughs> uh, they didn't get along so well. So it was <laughs> interesting being a shared assistant between two people who um, didn't really uh, like each other and sort uh, <laughs> were at different points in their careers too. Um, and then eventually, I became um, the full-time assistant to Louise Simonson, who was known as Louise Jones uh, when she came to Marvel to uh, run the X-Men books and the Conan books and Star Trek, Star Wars, a uh, million. Uh, we had incredible, you know, we had uh, enormous workloads then, and so I uh, <laughs> took some of the British duties and uh, and I had my own line of reprint comics I was editing, and, and, and in there I started writing, and I guess the, you know, the couple, I co-wrote a couple of issues of Avengers, and then uh, I guess my biggest writing break was writing The Dazzler, <laughs> and so that was, that. so that's sort of a very, you know, short, uh, well, it didn't, didn't feel that short as I was saying it, version, uh, but I, I think a lot of it, had to, I was always a writer, I always saw myself as a writer, I'd been on the um, editorial uh, uh, board of my high school writing magazine, uh, high, high school um, uh, uh, literary magazine, and um, you know, I just, uh, I, I, you know, I, of course I want to be an artist, and you know, I, I, I doodle fairly decently, but never at a professional level, but I mean, nobody starts out, very few people, I think, at, you know, 8, 10, 12 years old go, I want to be a comic book writer, I want to be a comic right. book editor, the thing you see is the artwork, right. you want to be right. Jack Kirby, you want to be <laughs> Steve Ditko, you don't, you know, and then, you, you know, at a certain point you go, oh, okay, but here's what this guy Stan Lee does, <laughs> and here's what these other, you know, here's what, uh, you know, John Broom uh, over at DC, or, or, or Gardner, you know, you sort of figure, oh, the pictures are great, but there are people supplying ideas and words, and I mean, uh, I don't, I don't think I really understood quite as a little kid what an editor was. Obviously, as I got older, mm -hmm. the editor had like a supervisory position, and again, the 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 editor that we all knew. I guess the two editors we knew were maybe Julie Schwartz and Stan Lee, and Stan was so, um, juggled so many other roles as, as an editor, you know, um, that, that even, you know, that he was unusual, certainly for that era. He was, even though he worked for a fairly large company, he was, uh, in retrospect, behaving 
if he were the owner and uh, founder and, and, and so played all these multiple roles and had the personality to go with it. He liked being in the yeah. public eye. So, so I mean, um, uh, so, so that's, that's sort of the evolution, I think, of, of, of a lot of people. I was, I, I, I was, I did not come from organized fandom, the, the story I tell sort of in an ironic <laughs> way, um, ironic given, uh, if we go through uh, my career, you know, the, the, the things I did above and beyond, uh, uh, writing and editing comics. I, you know, when I was a teenager, I went to the 1970 Phil Sewell and Comic Book Convention mm-hmm. uh, in in, uh, in New York on July 4th weekend, and I went to it and I said, well, that was fun. Now I never have to do that again. <laughs> <laughs> you know, sort of, that's sort of my approach to, to skiing also. I, I went skiing once and I went, that was fun. Now I never have to do that again. So I've, I, I, I've maintained, I, I've maintained that vow about skiing, but obviously the comics. I was going to say, yeah. other, and how many shows have you life. been to? <laughs> well, not only have I, not only have I been to shows, yeah. but I spent uh, about four years uh, working for Wizard World, mm-hmm. going to every one of their shows, mm-hmm. um, organizing and moderating panels, including once again being Stanley's moderator at many mm-hmm. of his panels. So not only have I been to like uh, now hundreds of conventions, but I think I've been on or uh, I've either uh, I've either been you know I've either run, uh, moderated, or been the subject of probably about a thousand convention panels oh, geez, at man. this point in my life. <laughs> So, yeah. yes, that was quite an ironic thing for me to say back then. <laughs> now, when you started out, were you trying to get a staff position there, or were you just trying to freelance or just anything? Oh, I was looking for, for a, a, a nine-to-five job. I was, okay. okay. I graduated college, and I'd come, you know, like every kid, you know, every young person comes home after college. I did, too, except since I grew up in Manhattan. You know, it, it was there was there were you know more and different kinds of opportunities than if I had um, uh, you know grown up in uh, and my mother had a uh, an apartment in a smaller town. I, I literally came home and and and, and so uh, you know my my financial investment in 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 going for a tour at Marvel Comics was literally a subway token. You know, so it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't like I had to go. Well, I let's see. I have to save up money for a plane ticket right. and fly to Los Angeles and see if I know anybody there I can stay with, and then I got to learn to drive, you know, right. <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, and rent a car. And, yeah. oh, I, I had learned to drive at that point, but you know, <laughs> I mean, it was a, it it was I was in that sense. It, it's funny. There's a group. I would say that's not an uncommon origin, you know, uh, mm-hmm. for local New York uh, young people or middle-aged people even to just go, well, what the heck, you know, yeah. uh, this sounds interesting. Yeah, you know, I think the most famous story being uh, Julie Schwartz, who um, who, uh, who um, had been in the science fiction world, mm-hmm. um, but supposedly had never read a comic until he... He uh, got on the subway in the Bronx where he lived on his way to his interview at DC Comics in Manhattan and bought like five comics off the newsstand and read them on the way to his interview. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know. But I mean, that, 
on staff, mm-hmm. um, half, you know, I'd say half of them are people for whom it's a life goal and something that they were, you know, burning to do. And the minute they graduated high school or college, uh, they got on a bus and they went to New York and they crashed on a friend's floor and they were not leaving till they got a job working at Marvel or DC. Yeah. And there's a lot, but there were also a, a fair or equal number of people who were just kind of liberal arts bums, you know, people who would, <laughs> who had English or film or sociology, and it's some kind of degree that was not, you know, you know, not a hardcore um, career thing. It was just we knew a lot of cool stuff and had read a lot of interesting stuff and met interesting people. And it's like, you know, okay, I'm back home in, in New York and what's around for me to do uh, while I'm strategizing the rest of my life? So there were, you know, it was not an uncommon origin for right, people right. And I've heard uh, that at, at Marvel, you know. Yeah. Now, was Marvel the only place you took a tour? Did you try the other companies as well, or was Marvel just you know, the one? <laughs> well, I mean, it's funny. The That was the only, I mean, you know, maybe it's a chicken and egg thing. I mean, I, <laughs> you know, the only thing I had, re- you know, A, I'd been a Marvel fanatic as a kid, yeah. I, um, you know, but I mean, I, I, and as I say, I had a, I had a quote-unquote connection, but it really was was just to get me in the door. It was by no right. means anybody who could, you know, say, uh, you know, this guy needs a job. You know? So, um, uh, no, it had never occurred to me, um, yeah, the idea of, uh, say, Warren or, or DC or, yeah. or National Lampoon. Um, I don't know why Marvel had, I guess because it had such a positive association uh, with with my uh, you know with my not then so long ago childhood and adolescence you know right. <laughs> I, I mean I mean I mean it is it, it is funny I mean I think you know I mean I uh, I know we're gonna you know I, I I'll leave it for you to get to the point where we talk in depth about my book about Stan <laughs> but but the you know but 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 I mean I think it I think it might have had to do with that relationship that Stanley developed with the readership. Um, That made, that even though you knew he was obviously his, yeah, not just the stories, but the letters pages and bullpen bulletins and and all the promotionals, even even though you knew that all that stuff was being read by hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people, he, he he had this skill of, of making you feel that he was really talking to you, and and uh, and I guess even though uh, it had been years since I'd been a regular reader of uh, of Marvel's comics, mm-hmm. um, I guess it still had that kind of magic spell on me that, like, well, if I'm because I, I was I was I was doing you know I was doing other. Work. I was thinking about possibly going to graduate film school. Right. Um, you know, and I had some jobs in the movie business in New York, which was, you know, which at that point was um, mostly uh, industrials and porn. You know, no. <laughs> so, I mean, that, uh, um, and I worked in both. Although not the glamorous side of porn, I negative, I negative matched the uh, A and B role. Yeah. Exciting part of them getting made, um, and then you know, 
different jobs. And, I, and you know, I always, uh, kind of my interests and whatever skills I have were always in sort of creative type right. endeavors. But, yeah, when it came to comics, uh, uh, yeah, I just, just somehow Marvel was the only place, and I, and I didn't get, you know, I didn't get a job right away. I met somebody there who was working there that I went to high school with, mm-hmm. and I sort of kept in touch with him, and then, uh, uh, and then, and and um, Did, you know, I mean, Larry Lieber, who I'm friends with to yeah. this day, you know, um, we had like a five minute interview, in which, in which I like to give my main job hunting interview interview advice to young people, which is. Mm-hmm. When you go for your job interview, make sure you have masking tape, not just on one side of your glasses, but on both sides of your glasses. <laughs> I think that's what really... So I'm sorry, you've been trying to ask a question. So. Oh, no, no, that's fine. I, um, I was wondering if you actually met Stan as well that day, or is it just Larry and you know, the high, high school friend and anybody else? You yeah. know, I met uh, my most vivid memory... Uh, because I don't even think I interviewed with Larry that day. I was oh, just okay. sort of like this guy. I mean, I mean, because I I wasn't actually interviewed till like six months later when oh, the okay. job was open. Uh, my most vivid memory of my uh, I remember meeting Archie Goodwin, who was very nice. Um, and I remember me, re- meeting I mean, probably the most open and friendly and and welcoming person to just some guy working around was John Romita Senior. Oh yes, I met him. Who yeah. just couldn't have been. I mean, you know, as I later discovered, the guy was doing five people's jobs simultaneously. <laughs> so certainly, if anybody could have said, don't bother me, but he was, uh, he was just the, the very world's most welcoming and, and, and friendly and, and, um, uh, what was the word? It's welcoming and friendly, you know, just he, he, <laughs> he you know, he was kind of, um, it was as if he was the guy written about in the bullpen bulletins, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, whereas, whereas, I mean, I think some of the other people were, mm-hmm. were, 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 um, well, actually, nobody was, nobody was mean. I mean, everybody was, <laughs> was, was friendly. But John, just John, I remember especially yeah. uh, being much nicer to me than just, oh, hi, uh, hope, you know, hope we get, I mean, everybody was friendly, but John was especially welcoming, which, yeah. which I always remember. Mm-hmm. And, 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 uh, and, and, and made me feel always especially warm towards him. Right. So, so when did you first meet Stan, then, if uh, it wasn't maybe that first meeting? Or, you know, as a guy who's written a book about Stan... You don't remember. I, I should have an answer, right? <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's... it's Fair enough. <laughs> because Stan was still in the office then. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he hadn't moved out. It was 1977. Mm-hmm. Um, he hadn't moved to the West Coast yet. Right. So uh, it, it wasn't like it was... I mean, it was... It, you know, and he, and, you know, like comic book people had in those days, a an odd kind of celebrity. I mean, even Stan, who was the biggest celebrity in comics, um, was uh, you know he was just in the office, and uh, you know he wasn't he wasn't he wasn't you know Archie Goodwin was the editor in chief at that point, right? And there, there was an editorial staff, so Stan I think was even then dealing with you know brand extension. He was a publisher was his role then. Um, you know, so I would say I must 
have met because I shared the office with Larry. I mean, I, I'm sure at some point Stan came in to just <laughs> chat with Larry or something. Mm -hmm. And 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 certainly if Larry went on vacation, which I think he did fairly so because it was the summer, um, then it was my job to get. Stan was still approving all the covers in those days, mm -hmm. even though he wasn't editor in chief, mm -hmm. since he was in the office so I know I must have brought him British covers to look at mm -hmm. but I don't have any great I mean you know what 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 I you know so you would think <laughs> after a hundred interviews I'd have a better story but that's almost a better I guess that's become my story that I don't have a story that's but I mean fine. I guess I, I met Stan Lee when I was eight years old in the pages of the comics really I mean right. that's right. you know I sort of met that version of 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 Stan, which you know, which was a great version for a kid to meet. So in some way, I'd known him since I was eight years old. Right. Um. And then you know, I, I and so over the years, I've worked with him a lot. And and then uh, and then uh, as I say, oddly enough, more as much or more after I left Marvel, I worked on projects with him. And, and and got to know him to some degree, but I don't have a great ta-da moment. <laughs> um, he was just around, which you know I guess that that was maybe the difference in Marvel then from Marvel even a few years later because you know he did finally move fully to the West Coast I think in 1980. Right. But for those few years, even, you know, he was just there. And if there was, you know, if there was even an internal dispute that got to a high, high enough level, then Stan would adjudicate it. I don't think he liked doing that, but he, <laughs> you know, he certainly was a, was available mm -hmm. for that. You know, so I, I had... Yeah, I, I need to either make up a story or uh, <laughs> or something. You know, but, but I think I think maybe the company was so much about Stan that yeah. uh, that he was a presence. You know? mm -hmm. Now, um, obviously, he made enough of an influence on you as everyone uh, to write a biography about him. Was that? A long time in planning, or was it just spur of the moment, just saying he's getting older, I better do this, or? What? Oh no! It was, it was it was about the opposite of spur of the moment planning. <laughs> um, it was it was about ten years in the planning. Um, I had uh, I said I, I had worked with him. You know, I don't. I don't. You know, I don't. I never claimed I was part of his inner circle. You know, mm -hmm. I wasn't. I worked. You know, I knew him for years. I worked with him at Marvel. I worked with him a lot at, when I went to other companies like Byron Price Multimedia and Visionary Media and so on, because uh, I was the guy who knew Stan. <laughs> um, I edited. I edited some some uh, uh, stories that that uh, he scripted at Marvel and had meet. You know, I was in a lot of meetings with him. Uh, mainly in the West Coast, um, but I'd say about 10 years ago, um, I was, uh, you know, trying to think of projects to do that would be interesting and that would have some, you know, I've written other books, I've written Superman right. on the Couch, The Skies is Clark Kent, right. uh, I've written a number of books that 
that have been very well reviewed. And, and, and every convention I go to, people come up to me and tell me how important those books were to them. I did Right Now magazine for Tomorrows, and, mm-hmm. and that Stanley Universe book that I did with Roy, and the How To book with, and DVD with Mike Manley. Uh, um, uh, so I, I'd done a lot of stuff that had been well-reviewed and even had a certain amount of popularity, but I really wanted something that would be popular for all the obvious reasons that one wants to do something popular. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let me, you know, maybe, about, maybe, maybe I could get Stan to, because uh, I did know him uh, to a certain degree, maybe he'd want to do uh, an authorized biography and have mm-hmm. me uh, write it. Um, and he would participate to a high degree. Or maybe, actually, there was also a book out at that point that, um, that the Cameron Crowe had done with Billy Wilder. Uh, remember the name of you know that book? You know what I'm talking about? I know what you're talking about. I don't know the name of yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was a book where, where it was a book of, it was essentially a series of interviews with Wilder, but really right. focusing in depth on his films. Mm-hmm. And I thought that might be something that Stan might be interested in. And I had a meeting with Stan and his people at a convention when he was in New York for a convention. And um, uh, you know, I pitched him the idea. I wrote up this long, uh, elaborate uh, proposal, and he thought about it for longer than I thought he would. I didn't—I honestly didn't think he'd want to do it, but he thought about it, and uh, he said, "You know, I don't want to do it." Um, but and, and now I'm encapsulating a lot of like emails and <laughs> conversations. But essentially, he said, um, "You know, why don't you do an do an unauthorized one if you want?" <laughs> and uh, you know, um, and, you know, and I won't I won't try to stop you. Um, and so I. I, again, wrote a very elaborate proposal for that. I pitched it around to, uh, had, had uh, my agent uh, pitch it around, and um, and it got uh, bought by um, St. Martin's Press, uh, uh, by Thomas Dunn Books, which is a division of St. Martin's Press, which mm-hmm. is a division of Macmillan. Um, and so we made that deal about uh, late 2016 after pitching around to a number of places and and uh, having several uh, offers that were all good, but I had to ultimately decide. Uh, so, um, but there was there was a lot of gaps in this, you know, between trying to get Stan to do it authorized and then uh, kind of letting it lie around for a while, <laughs> thinking around if I still wanted to do it, and uh, and then uh, pitching it because Stan is a funny kind of uh, celebrity. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he's a celebrity, but he's not a celebrity. Right. You know? I mean, he's, right. you know, he, he's, he's a celebrity, but he's not uh, Tom Cruise. He's not, right. uh, um, you know, Daniel Craig. He's not a movie. He's, he's I guess, as years went on, he became something of a yeah. movie For celebrity. He's doing cameos in all those you know, films. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but, but that... But he didn't have that kind of fame, and so that's what made it a tricky uh, uh, sell to a publisher. Was um, you know, people are curious about Stanley, but are they curious enough to spend money to buy mm-hmm. a book about him? Turns out they are. The book has been doing yeah. uh, very well, and I'm very pleased about that. Um, so no, it was the exact opposite of a spur of the moment thing. And then when <laughs> I um, when I uh, when I made the deal. Uh, 
with um, St. Martin's Press, I, I uh, called Stan. I said, remember that book we were talking, you know. <laughs> and every, every, like every six months or a year, I'd email him. i like, remember that book? You want to do that? Which is when he finally said, well, why don't you just do it unauthorized? So I sent him, I sent him uh, an email and, and said, uh, remember, you know, you said go ahead and do an unauthorized book. Well, I, I, I did. <laughs> so, <laughs> so he said, uh, he said, well, congratulations. He said, I'm not going to. You know, I'm not going to tell people to talk to you or not to talk to you, um, but I don't want to be interviewed. Uh, I've been interviewed uh, too much. I'm tired of it, but good luck. <laughs> I, ended up doing t- I ended up doing two, you know, very long interviews with him for the book. <laughs> <laughs> so how, how did you swing that? <laughs> uh, you know, A, I think Stan did just like to talk about uh, Stan <laughs> and about what he thought. But you know what? I... I, I um, I live now in the gentrified version of the neighborhood that he, you know, spent his first, like, uh, 20 years of trying to get out of Washington Heights in Upper Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, up by the George Washington Bridge. Uh, uh, and so every once in a while I would, you know, and, I, and I've had a lot of contact with him over the, uh, yeah. over the years, especially, especially there were those four years where I was his regular moderator at the Wizard World shows. You know, but I'd done, I'd, I'd, I had, I had made, you know, I, I, I interviewed him a lot for my various magazines and books. He right. wrote forwards for Superman on the Couch and the Sky and Clark Kent. You know, again, I'm not claiming I was his best buddy, but I did. I had a relationship with him. Yeah. Um, and, um, and, and and so I would, I would every once in a while, I would send him a picture of the George. And, and if you know Stan's, you know, uh, even from his own memoir from you know 20 years ago, or is just his. You know, his life story, his personal mythology, is very much tied up with how the George Washington Bridge, um, which was built when he was nine years old, right? I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, so he, he lived in Washington Heights and the Bronx, but, you know, as the bridge was built, you know, I mean, it's one of those landmarks that's in every, you know, next to, maybe next to the Brooklyn Bridge and the Empire State Building, the George Washington Bridge might be one of the main New York landmarks that people know from movies and TV. And right. So I, so, I, so I take a picture of the bridge, here's the bridge at sunset, here's the bridge in clouds, here's the bridge at night. And I would send him these pictures and he'd go, oh boy, that really, I remember that, it really uh, strikes a chord and thanks for sending it. So I have no, you know, I like to flatter myself and think that maybe that kind of <laughs> made him feel nostalgic and that he'd want to talk about uh, his childhood and his early years. I don't know what it was, but at a certain point, uh, you know, he just he, he just he agreed to do uh, an interview, uh, you know, which lasted about uh, maybe an hour, an hour and a half, and then mm-hmm. a follow-up that lasted uh, another hour and a half, two hours, and and I had a lot of. You know, it's funny, I've done many interviews with him both in public and then just over the years. I say for my magazine, I'd had some interviews I did with him. And I'd been, I guess also I did, Roy and I did that Stanley Universe book back in right. 2011. And, uh, you know, I, I remember getting, it was very funny, I, I was at Stan's archives in Wyoming, at the University of Wyoming, which is a whole other story to, just, just to get to Stan's archives. <laughs> Uh, and they're great. The people there are great. And it's, it's, it's a very interesting, it's called the American Heritage Center. And 
really a terrific uh, popular culture archive, and they've they've sort of made they've decided at least as far as comics to make their specialty be comic book editors. Hmm. So I get a call, I get a message from Stan's uh, assistant uh, saying Stanley wants to speak to you, and I'm thinking, oh, boy, what? Uh, I wonder what he wants to talk about. Talk to me about. I hope he's not. You know, I mean, his, his archives are public, so I mean, I was thinking, is he mad? I'm at his archives or something. I mean, <laughs> they are available to anybody who can get themselves to Laramie, Wyoming. You know, <laughs> so I call, so I call him back and and I uh, say, uh, Stan, what's up? And he says, I'm just calling to tell you that you should give your archives to them too. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, my I said my archives I mean those boxes of random papers that my wife keeps wanting me to throw out. That archives, <laughs> yeah, they're great people there, and they and they they do a great job, and you know you should really give it to them. <laughs> and I said, I said, Stan, you know, I, 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 you know, thank you, and you're right, they are great people. It's a great place. There's only one problem. They're in Laramie, Wyoming. No offense to anybody out there in Laramie. I had a very nice time in Laramie, but it is kind of far away from New York or L.A. <laughs> and he said, I know, I know, but it, they're great. You know, so <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I, I guess I'd had, you know, an, enough interaction with him over the years that, um, and, and, and I think maybe especially those last few years when I was doing uh, the panels with him, at the Wizard shows, because now he had, a, you know, when I first started working with uh, Wizard, um, you know, they hired me because they had, at that point, they had an interest in in broadening both the depth and the and the width, you know, of mm-hmm. their panels. You know, they um, and a guy named Chris Jansen, they had hired him. He had been working at the San Diego Con doing programming. And they hired him, and he. I did a couple of panels uh, at, the, at a wizard show in New York, and they, that's when they offered me the chance to come join the vaudeville tour. <laughs> and, and, and so they let me do an incredible wide range of panels with, you know, uh, you know anything, pretty much anything I could think of. Um, uh, and, and, I, and so I did a lot of zany stuff, but among that was Stan's people asking me to be Stan's regular moderator and Stan had other people doing them and they were you know they were different than me I, you can tell hearing me I'm sort of um, relentless and uh, thoughtful <laughs> but I'm not you know I'm not Mr. Showbiz and Stan did have guys who were uh, who were you know who were like kind of almost like carnival barkers mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, and I thought oh I guess uh, I guess I'll never get a chance to do a public to moderate Stan in public because he seems these seems to be the kind of people they want these very show busy right how blustery guys that's fine you know, Stan is certainly a part of Stan that's at home with that but then but then they did ask me and uh and we and and we had you know and again you know you know Stan even till the very end what he mainly needed a moderator for was to repeat the questions to him because his <laughs> hearing was going. Yeah. I mean, as you you know, even towards the end when there were those very real issues of should anybody even be dragging Stan around to conventions, even then he got on stage and he was very good and very you know he was he was. You know, you know, he was—he wasn't just giving canned answers. You could tell he was thinking about and being funny and being thoughtful. So, you know, I mean, Stan certainly was not 
you know, he needed a moderator mm. to have a straight man to play off <laughs> and, and, and to repeat the questions. And I was glad to do that. And, you know, and, and in return, he would, you know, he would go, I got to stop everything now and just tell you guys how great Danny is. And he worked at Marvel for years and we were crazy to let him go, you know. So, I mean, he, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, but, but I think whatever it was that Stan and his people saw about my rapport with him, did talk to him. I guess it was over the phone since you're on opposite coast, right? Right, right. Um, did you try to delve into his life more deeply than say, in the, even in his own autobiography or anywhere else and really get, like, really, you know, exclusive information, or what was your goal? Um, the short answer is yes. Okay. <laughs> um, in, in other words, I think I, you know, I, 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 I at that point, I knew enough about comic history and the controversy surrounding Stan, and you know, and and, and even and, and, and even his early career that nobody, you know, knows about. I mean, the guy worked at you know, Timely Marvel since he was literally seventeen years old. Right. <laughs> um, so I think I um, so I knew a lot about his background, and I knew stuff that even in other interviews I'd done, I'd sort of not. I, I, I didn't probe deeply. I, fi I figured there was no point, <laughs> you know, in saying to him, so what about Jack Kirby? You know what I mean? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, I didn't think I was going to get him, you know, to say anything more about those relationships. But I, but I was able, to, you know, I asked him a lot about his childhood and about, you know, uh, other, you know, maybe other women he dated before he met Joan and, mm -hmm. you know, why he got into comics and his time in the army and, and, and growing up in New York, you know, stuff, stuff that, um, that I thought would, uh, and his years in high school. So, I mean, I, I, uh, yeah, I, I tried to <laughs> get deeper into things that he really talked about. One th myself on, because again, I've done hundreds of interviews for my magazine, for my books, for mm -hmm. conventions, is that I think I'm pretty good at getting people who've been interviewed a thousand times <laughs> to maybe come at the topics at a little different angle, to get yeah. them to think about it just at a few degrees uh, differently than the stories they've been telling by road for decades. Mm -hmm. And I
so I, I, I was able to get a broader understanding and get Stan to talk more about um, what it was like to be working for a relative, which is always a mixed bag. <laughs> um, you know, it gave Stan kind of this velvet line trap where, you know, Goodman could never, as bad as business would get, you know, and when Marvel came close to closing it a number of times, Goodman couldn't really fire him, but he could make it painful for him <laughs> to stick around. <laughs> and, uh, and and there was a certain way that Martin, I think, uh, always, you know, as much as Stan accomplished and as famous as Stan got, I think Martin was jealous of it. Yeah. I think he, and there was a part of him that didn't allow him to see Stan as anything other than his little cousin, you know, <laughs> that needed a favor and a and 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 and, and a job when he was seventeen. You know, but but I mean that whole I got a sense from that, and also a lot from uh, Larry as well. Larry okay. uh, filled in a lot of blanks too, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think to understand, you know. You know, Stan's successes and 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 the failures too, and what mm-hmm. you know, what he achieved and what he was unable to, and you know, um, so I, I I think I was able to ask him questions that you know were probing enough that they made him think and reflect and maybe dig up some memories that I don't think he has for other people mm-hmm. without being so confrontational that he would just shut down. Right. You know? right. Uh, I think I think I think that came from me uh, having, as I said, done hundreds of interviews with people over the years. You know, I mean, the thing that that I would always find funny in interviewing people, and maybe I do it myself. You know, but say I'd be interviewing somebody, um, you know, a, a well-known comics writer. You know, they used to do for this magazine called WRT right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I say, well, how did you break in? And, you know, a lot of times people say something like, well, I was having lunch with John Byrne, and he said, and I went, wait a minute, how did you get to be somebody having lunch with John Byrne? They'll be like, oh, uh, well, you know, or Chris Claremont introduced, oh, wait a minute, you know, <laughs> I mean, so I, I'd have to, like, peel back, yeah. you know, the layers of the onion to go, well, look, huh. you know, I know you take it for granted that you've had this success and access to these people, right? but, you know, how... But at one point, you know, you were just somebody looking in the candy store window. How did you right. get? So, so I thought I think I became and have, and, I, and am pretty skillful. Uh, I mean, I think, I think it's part of what comes with being a, an editor and a writer too. That you're right. kind of always kind of peeling away the layers of the onion and trying to see, you know, uh, the deeper meaning or the deeper origins of things. So, uh, so this I think I think with the interviews with Stan, and I also found a lot of, uh, you know, especially thanks to our friend uh, the internet. But in, you know, I mean, <laughs> I went to Stan's archives, which I have to say, you know, I mean, um, you know, I didn't find uh, there's a, there's an incredible treasure trove there. I never had, I didn't have the sense that he redacted anything or hid anything because there's a lot of stuff, <laughs> stuff in those archives that don't necessarily make him look so good. Yeah. So, so I've been at the archives. Um, I knew a lot more about the history of comics than I ever had and, and uh, uh, just uh, oh, so, so somehow I, I, um, uh, I was able to take all those different skill sets and knowing him and, and, and yeah, I think I found um, I mean 
mean, it's fun, you know. I mean, you, you've done your share of history and biography, so you know you, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of it is like uh, Citizen Kane or Russian, yeah. you know, yeah. just kind of, you know, everybody has their different point of view about, you know, right. about history, and so I, I, and so well, that's what I tried to do in, in the book because it's not an authorized biography, which meant that I didn't have to get it approved by Stan or, or anybody <laughs> else. You know, I mean, I just had to. You know, do what I thought was most accurate and mm-hmm. fair, and I, you know, I certainly uh, did my best to give uh, Kirby and Ditko and everybody else, and Martin and Goodman, you know, everybody else, sort of their their say. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's been that's been one of the most pleasing things about it. the book. That was called "A Marvelous Life: The Amazing Story of Stanley." Yeah. Um, and one of the most gratifying things is most of the views have been really positive it but even people who may not have liked Stan <laughs> uh, have said in reviews or in, or in social media posts that they thought that I was uh, pretty fair in, in my handling of it you know um, a couple of people uh, have not and 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 really my feeling uh, reading their detailed criticism is um, even they, in their way, were saying that. I mean, uh, you know, it, it seems to me that even they were just kind of saying, "Oh, well, you interpret these things differently than I cho- choose to interpret them." Yeah. <laughs> you know, but 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 most people, because I mean, look, there's, there's stuff in it that Stan did that was not, you know, that was not always great. Um, you know, my line is that I, uh, you know, you know. It's, I don't know if it's a spoiler alert, but something I say yeah. near the end is that, uh, you know, um, is that Stan's, uh, one of Stan's uh, problems is that people didn't compare, you know, people didn't compare Stan to other comic book editors. Mm-hmm. And they didn't compare him, you know, to other media executives. Invariably, they wanted him to behave like Captain America would behave in a given situation, <laughs> you know. Right. And nobody, you know, nobody compares that to. Him. So, um, so as I say, that's I think. I mean, aside from people liking the book and recommending buying it and getting this incredible blurb from Jules Cipher, which blew my mind, you know. <laughs> um, uh, you know, the fact that even people who may not personally, or, or who may not felt Stan treated his collaborators and partners as well as. Ideally, you should have. You know, even people who didn't like Stan say, you know, the book is fair and, yeah. and, and very well written and, 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 and a, you know, and a, and a compelling picture of the guy. So it's not really a puff piece or anything like that, which is good, you know. It's like, um, I was wondering if you were able to get Stan to just kind of really be himself in these interviews, because, I mean, Stan always had this tendency to be kind of grandstanding and self-promoting, because that was like his persona, you know. But I mean, were you able to get him to let his guard down? Oh yeah, down? I, he, yeah. I, I, I mean, I think I knew him well enough. Yeah, because he knew I wasn't like somebody calling from like a you know a, a website or a magazine right. to get his opinion on the latest uh, Thor movie. I mean, it was <laughs> you know he he knew you know again to the end uh, you know whatever issues he may have had. You know, with people usurping decisions from him and stuff. Certainly, just on a one-to-one conversation. Yeah, I, I certainly knew him long enough and well enough that I could just sit and have a conversation with him. And that, yeah. and that, that, that persona. Yeah, that, that, that um, talkster thing. 
uh, not as a peer, you know, whatever, as a colleague, I don't know what you want to call it. He knew me as somebody who worked in the business and worked mm -hmm. specifically at Marvel and then worked, you know, with him uh, at other companies. Yeah, so I, yeah, I, I, I um, that was the, the, you know, which is not to say that he wasn't capable of giving uh, answers that were, you know, at some points earlier in my relationship with him that were maybe more sugar-coated or more um, less introspective or, or something, but but that, that, I think, had more to do with me, not with him not willing to be frank. I mean, that's, that was, that's actually one of the things that I figured out a long time ago and 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 saw it more and more as uh, as time went on is that Stan I think had something in him that compelled him to tell the truth about stuff because mm -hmm. <laughs> um, you if you look at any interview not about any but a lot of interviews with him a lot of convention panels uh, you know you're right he will say something that's pretty boilerplate, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, he's selling stuff. He's just, you know, he's yeah. a he's 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 a guy who makes stuff to be sold, and he's selling it, and he's got an image, and he's got a point of view. So it'll be like you'll listen to Stan, or you'll read a transcript, and it'll be boilerplate, boilerplate, mm -hmm. boilerplate, mind-blowing revelation and truthfulness. <laughs> <laughs> boilerplate, right. boilerplate. Right. Boilerplate, mind-blowing revelation. Well, I was but just saying to think if you, got more, in, if you got more mind-blowing revelations than boilerplate in your interviews. So. Uh, well, I don't know if they were all mind-blowing, but, but some of them were. But I mean, but the thing is, and he would do that in public too. Yeah, but people yeah. wouldn't realize it because he would say it in the same hostile tone of voice. Right. He'd be saying, "True believer, excelsior," yeah, and all. That. <laughs> right. But then he would just say something incredible, you know, some incredible memory or revelation or admission mm -hmm. uh, about something, and you really, and you'd kind of. You know, and again, maybe you had to be an insider to really get it. Maybe you had to be, maybe it was something that if you were 10 years old sitting in the audience, it wouldn't make that much difference. But I, I just, I, I had that experience, you know, a lot of times with him where, um, you know, I, like I said, I, I, he was compelled to sort of, you know, I mean, one of my, you know, things that I remember sort of, you know, he grew up in the Depression, right? His parents, mm -hmm. I, think he had, I think he had a very complicated home life. I think his parents had a contentious relationship. Uh, they never had a lot of money. Um, and a lot of guys from that generation, you know, especially if they're trying to, you know, be nice, will say things like, well, you know, I had a, a job after school because I had to help support the family and I had a kid, you know, everybody had to contribute and my, you know, my brother did this, my sister did that, and we all played violin and danced and people threw court, you know, whatever. Everybody got, Stan, uh, in one or two interviews I, I had seen with him, comes right out and says, well, you know, I was supporting my family, you know. Mm -hmm. And I'm going, whoa. <laughs> that's not just, you know, that's not just, oh, my father wasn't making enough to make ends meet or, or whatever, or, you know, or, or my mother was just a house. Or, it was like, Holy cow! I mean, that's that, you know. I mean, that's a common for that generation. I mean, I know a lot of guys from that generation 
uh, certainly were out earning their fathers by the time they were in comics. As, as bad as comics paid, they still paid more than whatever their father was doing. Right. <laughs> but, I, but, but for Stan to really say that, you know, well, I was supporting my family, and it wasn't... He didn't say it in the times that you know that that I that I read and heard interviews with him. It wasn't it wasn't like bragging. It wasn't he. You know, I think he would. I think he was almost ashamed of it. You know, mm. I think he would much rather that his father had been a guy who could support the family. You know, mm. uh, so so th- so things like that. You would just hear Stan say that. Uh, you know, he was an interesting guy. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, but so, yeah, but but at least with me personally, and, and again, I think with pretty much anybody who was in the business or who or who wasn't just a reporter cold calling him from you know from uh, whatever you know mm-hmm. from whatever uh, media outlet, I think I think I think for people in the business, uh, if you got to know him at all, that facade mm-hmm. dropped pretty quickly. That's cool. Now, did um, I know you said it was needing to be authorized, but did he manage to see uh, a completed or near complete manuscript before he passed? No, no. He um, he died in uh, November of 2018. The book didn't come out. It wasn't published till November of 2019. So, uh, no, he was. And you know, I mean, I think I think I was lucky. Because I got to him to, for the book uh, shortly before there were all the wars for control of his of his life and right. and, and time. Because you know at, at, at that point I just uh, he was still coming into the office regularly. Uh, they were in 2017 when right, I did the two interviews. Mm-hmm. So you know it, there was no you know basically I said to you know his assistant uh, Mike Kelly who was a terrific guy I, you know uh, you know I said Stan I know you know I said I want to interview Stan I always said he didn't want to and you know eventually you know uh, again I think partly because I've been doing these regular public interviews with Stan they just set up the appointment but I didn't have to go through 10 different handlers and <laughs> yeah. uh, well you know at the end of his at the end of his life I think that, you know I mean I, I I do go into that in the book about uh, you know it's not the main topic of the book, uh, but it was you couldn't you certainly can't write a book uh, about Stan without all that weird stuff going on in his life in those last uh, year and a half two years with right. you know with with every other day there'd be a different uh, video with him saying remember those people I told you to trust last week don't trust them now trust these people I mean <laughs> you know it was yeah. you know. There was a lot of, unfortunately, you know, I mean, I think Stan suffered the fate of uh, a lot of elderly people who've outlived their protectors and certainly of celebrities. I mean, the ones that come to mind, um, you know, I think Mickey Rooney had similar issues yeah. and Groucho Marx, if, you, if any right. of your listeners remember that yeah. far back, you know, just, you know, these were famous people, they had plenty of money, and yet, you know, Somehow, they had, uh, you know, usually out, either outlived or alienated the people who would most logically be the ones who should be looking out for them, and suddenly they're at the mercy of these uh, Hollywood opportunists who, you know, who, who would certainly do, uh, they were helpful, 
to these celebrities in certain ways, but also exploitive. And so Stan, you know, so so that that's in the that's in the book. I mean, I think a lot of look. I think a lot of this is stuff that'll be probably being resolved legally and financially for decades. But um, <laughs> you know, it it it. it you know, I guess as a storyteller, it was it was great because it gave me this all this weird shit to write about in the <laughs> end of Stan's life. I mean, it was, I felt terrible as a friend of his and a colleague, and just you know, because what I do, what I write in the book, another you know, another thing I, that I that I say in there, which you know, if Stan was kind of the hip uncle or the withered parent or the you know or just or just you know, he was the adult that somehow enjoyed and knew the same pop culture that you did as a kid so for like the baby boomer and maybe a couple of generations after the boomers he became this kind of sympathetic uh and hip uh hip you know older person well then when he got to be elderly himself he he symbolized this other problem that you know that boomers uh, have you know had is you know what do we do with our elderly parents what do we right. do with pop you know i mean it just it's like well stan seems to be competent and be able to make his own decisions he's not you know, he, he's you know, see, see him on a convention panel, and he's funny and answering questions and giving answers that don't seem like they're just rehearsed or memorized. He really seems with it and alert. So how, you know, uh, you know how how much with a person like that are they in control of their lives? And if they're not, you know, what do I, as a colleague and fan? You know, I mean, there's a guy named Clifford Metz, who you may know or know of, and I think Clifford made a lot of noise uh, in a good way to, like, the authorities in, in mm -hmm. Los Angeles and stuff and did stuff behind the scenes that, you know, that uh, probably I and other people don't know about, and maybe there were other people working, too. But, I mean, there was... Stan really did become that issue that, you know, assuming everybody lives, you know, a reasonably long and expected lifespan is what do you do with an elderly parent who in some cases seems okay and able to make you know rational decisions but in other ways seems like they're they're being exploited or abused i mean it's really so so i think stan unfortunately became kind of the poster child or the poster yeah. elder yeah. for that uh, kind of situation too um so that was that's it. The storyteller was great. You know, as a as a colleague and friend, it was uh, painful to watch. Right. And um, I guess the inevitable question: do you, do you feel that the book came out the best you could do, considering the circumstances and everything you got on the interviews, or is there like some missing piece that you still have unanswered at this point? I think there are pieces that. Um, you know, I think I think there's more. You know, I mean, as as you know, there are other biographies of Stan coming out. Um, I think there is more to Stan's story to be told and stuff that uh, um, uh, maybe I wish I'd gone deeper into. Uh, I don't. I don't know if. You know, I mean, I think I went pretty deep. The book is, yeah. uh, you know, 350, it, it's 350 pages with mm -hmm. over 300 footnotes and endnotes. And I think you're writing about Stan Lee. You gotta, you know, it's not an academic book, but I still felt like, 
you know, I wanted to document and back up anything I, I said or, 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 or asserted. Right. Um, so I think he had a long, complicated, rich life, and I think there are aspects of it that um, uh, maybe other people uh, will deal with. So uh, I, I, don't, I don't think, you know, uh, I guess, you know, maybe commercially I should say, I've, my book is the last word, there's no more. <laughs> but, I, you know, I think I, did, I think I did a very good job, and, right. and reviews have been very good, and, yeah. uh, and people, as they have had a lot of praise and compliments about it. But I, I think Stan had a complicated and long enough life that there's, right. that there's, that, that there's more to be said about him. Did you, have you by any chance read the book? I, didn't I know have not read it yet, I hate to say, but I will, I definitely want to now. <laughs> so, um, okay. I was going to say this in response to that, you know, I, I equate with Stan Lee to someone on the level of, say, Charles Schultz or Walt Disney or something like that. Right. You know, 20 years after Schultz's death, 50 years after Disney's death, they're still writing books about him. So, I mean, it's like, they're always going right. to, you know, so. Well, I mean, I think, and there's always, there's always more to say. It's always a different point of view, because, I mean, you know, I mean, look, like anybody, some people love Stan and some people hated him, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, uh, so, uh, he was the same guy, so what was it, assuming that the people who hated him, you know, were not insane, which I don't, you know, which for the most part, I don't yeah. think they were, then what was it about him that made, I mean, right, there's, there's, you know, there's, you know, facts, and then there's uh, interpretation and, and how people respond. Right. And, you know, just Stan as a collaborator was somebody, you know, to this day, you could ask me, did did he and Jack Kirby, were they friends? I don't, you know, I think at times they were. I think at times, mm-hmm. I mean, I think my book is partly a love story, mm-hmm. that, the, the Stan and Jack love story, but that's not to say there weren't times that Jack didn't hate him. Mm-hmm. And there were times he hated them when they were doing their best work together. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, um, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, obviously, have been, uh, you know, Mark Evenier, I guess, is writing what, what we think will be the definitive biography, but Jack is certainly a guy. Right. There could be multiple, but you're right, Stan is in that category because yeah. there's, you know, I mean, again, with with everybody, it's like, why are some people your friends and some people not your friends? You're yeah. the same person. Well, then obviously it has to do with chemistry and and individual things that happened or didn't happen. Also, so when we write about about celebrities and well-known figures, same kind, uh, same kind of thing. But I think there's, you know, the, uh, so I have a certain, you know, I, I have what I think is a fair and, you know, uh, an even-handed and, and compassionate uh, approach to Stan and to Kirby and Ditko, you mm-hmm. know, who, yeah. who I grew up, I, I grew up idolizing them as much as I, I did idolizing Stan. Right. You know I mean? and, was, and I think, I mean, look, I think, you know, uh, without Stan, Ditko, Kirby, and Martin Goodman, there's no Marvel Comics. I think you take any one of those elements out, there's no right. Marvel Comics. Um, I agree with that. <laughs> you know, but... Uh, you know, yeah, so I think there's other interpretations and probably other things to be investigated and mm-hmm. uh, other people. Uh, you know, there's a guy named J.L. Mast, who's a French artist who's done a bunch of work for uh, Marvel. And uh, he's, you know, I think he's in his 20s. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've known him through social media, and I met him. He came to New York a few weeks ago. Um, just before we all got quarantined, you know. <laughs> and he's and he's doing astonishing research. He 
he's doing a graphic novel uh, or maybe a series of graphic novels uh, about um, about Stan and about Martin Goodman. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he came up with research that uh, you know, some you know, he was nice enough to share some of it with me. Um, but you know, somehow he found relatives and cousins and you know, just us, you know, uh, about Stan and Martin's lives. And you know, that one, you know, the, that'll be really interesting when when his graphic novels come out. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so I mean, so I think there's, you know, there are many more. Levels. I try, you know, what I try to do with the book um, is um, make it un- have enough enough depth about comics that it would satisfy people who knew their comics history, but not so much mm-hmm. that people who didn't, you know, you know quote unquote civilians. Uh, I didn't want it to be a book that was so inside baseball. <laughs> So I tried. To, I tried to structure it really like almost like a novel, you know, and with a little cliffhanger at the end of every <laughs> chapter. And again, luckily, Stan's life did kind of lend itself uh, to that. So it's you know, so in, in a way, it's as much a, yeah. a, a book about the comic business. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's you know, again, not 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 to give. There's plenty about Stan. You know, even people who know a lot about Stan, you know, will come up to me and say, "I have no idea." Yes, I mean, there's yeah. still there's plenty there. But yeah, I think. So what's next for Danny Fingeroth? Are you working on another biography or anything else at this time? Or uh, well, I mean, because I figured it wasn't, you know, again, I don't want to. When I tell you the topic, you'll see why I'm giving this preamble. You know, because <laughs> uh, I figured it wasn't controversial enough writing about who did what at Marvel Comics in the '60s. I thought I'd write a book about the Kennedy assassination. So I am. I'm writing a, a, a biography of Jack Ruby, the guy who killed Lee Harvey Oswald. Ooh, interesting. <laughs> um, I'd actually, I've actually written a graphic novel uh, about Ruby that mm-hmm. uh, that Rick Geary is attached to. Mm-hmm. We've been trying to get that off the ground for years. It's, it's, it's one of those books where people go, if, you know, if you had a copy right here, I'd buy it. But I, but I, uh, <laughs> you know, but I, but I can't. But I, I can't uh, back it as a publisher. It's like, well, don't you think if you'd want to buy it? anyway? So it's so that's one incarnation of it. That, uh, that um, but um, the, there's been interest expressed, in, and including by me, in doing it uh, as a biography of Jack Ruby, who is, of, you know, who is so famous for that one photo of him right. killing Oswald, and yet very little is known about the guy. So so he had a bizarrely interesting life. Um, and and knew this wide range of people in politics and in show business and and so so I'm writing a, a book and of course you know again again I don't want to trivialize the Kennedy assassination by comparing it to who created Spider-Man but I mean <laughs> in a, wow <laughs> you know there are there are many more you know uh, if people are passionate about who created Spider-Man then. And certainly, there are people passionate about who really killed JFK and who, right. you know, and why Ruby. Um, so I'm kind of wading through through those waters and trying to come up with a reasonable point of view on Ruby's life, which was a crazy, you know, uh, you know, 
one of the taglines I've been playing with uh, is uh, killing Lee Harvey Oswald was not the craziest thing Jack Ruby ever did, you know, so. <laughs> That's a good title. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a life story in which, uh, in which Mickey Mantle, Hank Williams, uh, Frank Sinatra, all these people that you would think uh, might not necessarily intersect with like a, uh, mm. a you know, a, 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 a highly, a, a high-strung and weird uh, strip club owner would interact with. I mean, there's, uh, so the guy had this, this, this really interesting life, and he happened to change history on, you know, right. uh, on, uh, in front of, in front of like a hundred million people on television. Yes. Too, you know? <laughs> wow. that, so that, so that, so that's my next, uh, my next big project. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, with our current, you know, uh, you know, coronavirus world, who knows what anybody's next project is, but that's, that's the, that's what, that's what I'm focusing on, to, you yeah. know. To, you well, know, I mean, it gives us all a chance to, to write. I mean, that's why I've taken on other projects myself, you know, I go, hey. Right, of course. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if we should by, uh, you know, uh, you know, come through this, then, uh, and I guess one way or another we will, then, yeah. you know, then, uh, I mean, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but I've been consuming more media uh, the past few weeks than yeah. I have in probably the, the you know the three years before that. So <laughs> I guess I guess those of us who make media, you know, uh, have to keep going on in the hopes that <laughs> there'll be somebody around to to, uh, to to buy it and read it. Yeah. Well, like I said, that's one of the reasons I'm doing these podcasts. You know, to give people something else to listen to if they've listened to oh, sure. all the other thousands and <laughs> podcasts out there um yeah uh do you have any other magazines like you said a couple times that you uh were the editor of right now and i used to buy that on occasion uh, uh were there uh are, do you have any other magazines or comics in the planning at this time or just uh, books? uh not not right now i'm really focusing on, on the ruby thing i i i did do the audiobook of the uh, of a marvelous life, the amazing story of Stan Lee. So that audiobook is available from all the regular sources. There's a large print, a large typed version, okay. um, and it's been translated into a dozen languages. But uh, yeah, that took some time. Doing the audiobook is an interesting experience, and, and again, I've had uh, some compliments on that. And I'm available for audiobook work. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, right now, I'm focusing uh, mainly on the on the Ruby uh, proposal. I, I have a couple of other projects that, uh, as we like to say, I'm not ready to talk about right. yet. No, but, um, <laughs> uh, I had I had a bunch of uh, you know probably, probably like yourself. I had a lot of public speaking engagements and conventions mm -hmm. lined up, yeah. and uh, I was I was uh, honored to, to be selected as a uh, special guest for this year's yeah. San Diego Con, which yeah. you know uh, I guess it's fifty fifty whether it'll right. actually happen or not. So I had a lot of stuff planned, but. Right. Uh, <laughs> I had to put I had to put disclaimers. I'm a little bit ahead always on the podcast, and I had to right, put disclaimers right. on the ones I'm uploading now because it was before all this happened. They said, "Well, I'm going to be here, and I'm going to be here." It's like, uh, sorry, they're not going to be anywhere, you know, at home. You know? <laughs> you know, uh, so. Exactly. No, it's uh, you know, and and the paperback of the. Uh, a Marvelous Life is, is due to come out uh, in, in September. Well, um, but uh, but uh, I think I think people need it now. You know. Yes. <laughs> well, 
Oh, you sold me on it. I mean, I've always liked Stan Lee's life. I, I do have his autobiography. I do have other books by him. He's always a fascinating person to me. I do sympathize with the people who say, oh, Ditko and Kirby got screwed or whatever. But at the same time, I go, hey, it's Stan. You know, <laughs> you know, it's right. like, you know, he wasn't always a nice guy, I hate to say, you know, but he, you know, he wasn't a villain either. You know, he was just, you know, being Stan, you know. Well, the, he, was, <laughs> he was looking, I mean, like most people, he was looking out for himself and his family. I mean, yeah. was, if he had behaved like Captain America, you know, if he had done <laughs> the most right thing every single time, sure, that would have been, uh, yeah, everybody would prefer that. But there were, you know, I think, he actually, I, I think he compared to a lot of people and a lot of people in comics, he was quite generous and gracious and giving, but ultimately it came down to him or somebody else. He was going to go with him, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know but, but there were, uh, there's a million stories about things he did for people and, yeah. uh, um, you know, I mean, that, that's what makes him interesting, you yeah. know, uh, and, and, uh, I mean, he certainly yeah, entertained a lot of people, so you know that you can't knock that. <laughs> uh, he was, he was, uh, you know. I mean, you know, there was. He couldn't have done what he did without collaborators, right. but without him, the stuff wouldn't have existed the way it did and right. achieved the. You know, we wouldn't be. We wouldn't be. You know, as, again, as important as all those other people were, without Stan, we wouldn't be talking about any right. of that stuff. Right. You know, I mean, Kirby and Ditko would be, I think, loved and admired by a hardcore of uh, comics fans, and Goodman might be known among, you know, business students at, uh, <laughs> in business schools, you know, or, mm-hmm. or maybe among people who are interested in the history of pulps. But I, you know, I, I, I think... You know, they were all invaluable, but but mm-hmm. certainly Stan somehow had the vision and the ability to carry it out. You know, and not without some broken hearts and and, and broken dishes along the way. <laughs> you know? Well, um, so. I think that's uh, basically all I have to ask at this time. Uh, do you have okay. a website uh, or I, anything? I have a website, like- uh, Danny uh, Fingeros dot com. D-A-N-N-Y-F-I-N-G-E-R-O-T-H dot com. I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Um, if um, I, I, you know, I'm going to be trying. I think, you know, if somebody wants an autographed copy of the book, they can contact me through the website, mm-hmm. and I will try to get it to them. I mean, who knows how post office, FedEx, and so on uh, will be operating, but... Um, and uh, I'll be doing, I mean, I'm doing a online presentation about the book on April 7th, which is before this, uh, which is before this airs. Yeah. But um, through Ben Catcher's uh, New York uh, Comic Picture Story Symposium. Uh, but I imagine it'll be archived after that so people okay. can <laughs> can find that. And I'll put it on uh, the info, info on my website. But yeah, I mean, like everybody, I think I'm going to have to figure out ways to uh, interact with people uh, online so just you know check out uh, check out my website and especially check out I'd say I'm most active on Facebook you know just okay. uh, as Danny Fingeroth and um, and that's it so I thank you know thank you for, uh, for for your interest and for doing this thank you for listening and thank you Danny Fingeroth for being my special guest episode number 76 will be coming soon
If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2020, Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you and good night. Headed home to a cardboard hut with duct tape doors at the price I'm paying. Be glad it isn't yours. Now get up. Don't fall back Don't fall back Don't fall